welcome to Undercommon Taste. This is a podcast where we create and discuss homebrew content for tabletop RPGs. Given enough time, anyone may master the physical. With enough knowledge, anyone can become wise. It is the true warrior who can maintain both and surpass the result. I'm Ian Woodworth. I'm joined by my co-host James Daly. And today we are taking a step back in the Wayback Machine. Going back to our more homebrew roots, if you will. <laughs> um, I've got a homebrew class that I've been working on for a long time that I feel I finally have narrowed down and focused into the point where I feel comfortable presenting it to the world. I like this class and this class that we're going to come up, I'll let Ian introduce it further later on, but this is definitely one of two archetypes that I really enjoy that melds combat and casting. I mean, your clerics can kind of do it, your bards can kind of do it, but not like this one is. One of my other favorite classes is the antithesis of this, and it's generally like the Templar class that you'd see from something like Dragon Age or something like that, and where they are just like a living anti-magic field. So I've always liked those two sides of the coin. Yeah. So the class that I am presenting today is called the Spellblade. The Spellblade is an arcane half-caster class that fills a role similar to a paladin. It is basically an arcane paladin. If I had to do elevator pitch for this, it's an arcane paladin and it fills a role that I feel personally the artificer doesn't. I can see that. I appreciate the artificer as presented in 5e. I like it. It has its niche. It doesn't have the feel of a character class that I want to play. Right. The Artificer was definitely for the engineering crowd, which is totally a thing. I love my engineers. Absolutely. Would have gone into engineering. Can't do the math. Just we'll throw that out there. It wasn't lack of interest. It was lack of ability on my part. But engineering, even in the mundane, engineers are just marvelous. And so, yes, D&D did need an engineering class. I'm very happy with that. But as you said, the Spellblade has a completely different feel. Like I said, it falls somewhere between cleric bard and sorcerer for me and i don't you know again it's somewhere in that mesh yeah i what i wanted was where the artificer is basically a caster who got distracted by doing some martial stuff i wanted a marshal who decided to dabble in some magic stuff but more than what you get out of an eldritch knight right that third caster just didn't fit with how i felt it should go I can see that. It felt too magic light. I wanted yeah. something like a paladin, something that had a solid chunk of spell slots to utilize and a decent spell list to utilize and to actually hybridize casting and martial combat. Right. And going back, you'll see these on a lot of video games. Again, I'm going to reference Dragon Age. It's kind of like, I believe it's the Elven Warrior magic type. Again, where you're going to get some personal buffs and you can just wreck stuff on the field. And you know, the battle mages as they were, you know, and a bunch of fantasy, that kind of thing. D&D kind of pulls back from those for some reason. But yeah, you should be able to suit up with an armor and a sword and a board and, and have at it. And then, you know, on occasion, drop a fireball or two. And I started working on this before I ever started playing 5e. Just to give you a perspective of how long this has been in the works. I started doing this in 3.5 whenever I read the Spellblade prestige class and was unimpressed. And I wanted to expand that out to make a full class out of it at that point. And then I had to figure out how to pair back to make it balanced. And whenever I got into 5e and when you started working with bounded accuracy and you started working with archetypes under the class instead of trying to figure out prestige classes that gave me the tool set I needed to finally flesh out the class as I wanted it. I like that. And again, this is where a lot of homebrew comes from. You see something that's close, not quite right. And you say, screw you wizards. I can do better. And you start writing it down. And as Ian said, it's generally not something that comes to you overnight. It is generally something that you work and tinker on and kind of play test and mold. And we can talk about the creation process on this, but I think we have fluffed the Spellblade up fairly well. Do you want to go ahead and dive right into it? <laughs> yeah, we can. Awesome. And I did loosely base the progression 
more or less on the cleric. It's not as robust as most of your martial classes are because it is relying much more heavily on the caster side. I tried to go sort of a 50-50 balance. And you guys, whenever you take a look at it and decide that you want to try and play it, let me know if I got that right or not. You know? Yeah, absolutely. We would love to hear back from you with any of our homebrew stuff. I mean, on occasion, you know, once a year, twice a year, we go and we actually throw down and play test some of our stuff. But if you guys ever want to run with some of the things, we generally put all our write-ups on our Patreon. A lot of them are free. Some of them are Patreon exclusives. But a good deal of our write-ups are free for any of our patrons. Just hop in, run it, and let us know what you think. I like this. I don't like that. You were close with this. Now I'm going to make Spellblade Mark II because, Ian, you did it wrong, just like the Wizards. And, <laughs> and show us what you got. We'd love to see it. Right. So going off of the description that I have, Spellblades are warriors who combine martial and the arcane. They're best suited to combat where they can get up close and personal with their enemies trained to act as shock troops to break up enemy formations. They are often used in fights where heavy magical opposition is expected because when their spells fail, their swords excel and vice versa. So you have someone who is kind of like a Bladesinger, kind of like the Bladesinger uh, archetype for the wizard, but a half caster as opposed to a full caster. Right. Again, they needed a little more beef. I love the idea of using them as shock troops. Just thinking about a whole up close and personal thing. Again, and that kind of goes back. I still want to see a magic barbarian sorcerer cross. And again, that is the whole thing that could be like the start of wizards because a wizard is learned. They have studied versus a sorcerer's innate. And I could totally see that branch being from barbarians where they've taken this innate power and they've learned and they've become self-aware and refined it. And so, again, I like that very beefy frontline magic user. I hate that the wizards are made of paper. I mean, I get it for balance, but eh, they're not physically imposing. Right. So starting off with quick build directions. Make a spell blade quickly by using the following suggestions. First, intelligence should be your highest ability score, followed by either strength or dexterity, depending on which archetype you're going to be pursuing. And then you take the soldier background um, or whatever background you damn well please. <laughs> that, that's fair. I think, I don't know how I feel. I think that's a good idea with some things like some classes and you require this and requiring a soldier background at that point, it almost makes you like a special forces type unit. And again, these aren't going to be your run of the mill adventurers normally. I could see soldier. I could see maybe like pirate slash swashbuckler, possibly an acolyte. But I like the fact that you definitely pinned into a background. It'll definitely give that character a feel. Folk hero could even possibly work. But yeah, I mean, really, you could use anything. I think the soldier is a good idea. And to make it a class requirement has a three. It's not a class requirement. Class requirement. I know, but I was saying if it were a class requirement, it would definitely have a third edition feel to it. Yeah, it really would. Another decent suggestion would be to use the spy Ooh. or the agent, the house agent or whatever, whatever the one from Eberron is. Okay. I mean, most of the Eberron ones would work because of the dragon mark houses, but right. yeah, using it as an agent. So this would be somebody who would be trained in espionage because two of the three, uh, one of them is very dex heavy. One of them is very strength heavy and one of them can go either way the very dex heavy one could very easily do that sort of infiltration espionage sort yeah, of role. That would be like every eighties and nineties spy movie ever. It'd be wonderful. All right. So as a spell blade, you gain the following class features. You get a D eight hit die. Again, I based this mechanically on the cleric progression because I liked that feel. I liked the progression as it went. It just seemed to align better when I started throwing things together. There are some things where I deviated from that, and we'll get into that once we start going through the actual class and archetype progressions. Also, as a shock trooper, you're not going to roll with a D6, because that's like your minimum. Wizards doesn't have the D4 hit die anymore. Thank God. Dear God, that D4 hit die was terrible. Even if you rolled like a 2, which is like, hey, I got 50%. Great. Someone sneezed on me. and So yeah, D8, Scott, you're not, obviously, you're not a barbarian. You're not a fighter. You're not a paladin. D8. Well-rounded out. I think that's good. And there is a mechanic that beefs them up a little bit to let them stand their ground in a quick and brutal combat, which is the type of combat they would try to pursue. 
Yes. Against something like a fighter or a paladin or a barbarian. Right. We'll get to that. Yes. So starting proficiencies, you're proficient with light and medium armor. There are going to be some restrictions on that when I get to spell casting. Weapons, simple weapons, great sword, long sword, rapier, scimitar, short sword. So basically anything that can be construed as a sword, you can use. You can use swingy slashy stuffs. Yeah. Now with this, I would ask, especially with things that have the physical component, the somatic components, would you be able to cast while, say, you're two-handing your longsword? Yes, because you can use... I'll get to that. The, the okay. short answer is yes, and I will explain <laughs> why in a little bit. Perfect. Mainly because you can use your weapon as a spellcasting focus. Awesome. Now I'm seeing some He-Man stuff, but okay, great. <laughs> no inherent tool proficiencies. You start off with proficiency with dexterity and intelligence saving throws. That's your common and uncommon attribute saving throws. And then with skills, you get to choose three from acrobatics, arcana, athletics, history, insight, intimidation, investigation, medicine, perception, sleight of hand, and stealth. Okay. Those are fairly rounded out. Now, as someone who's going to ask from your creation standpoint that you're pulling this character together as you're building, I noticed that you made this an intellect caster, much, again, like a wizard. Why did you choose that versus charisma would be more of a sorcerer would be an innate talent? Because they are learning the magic to apply. Okay, perfect. No, that is a great reason. They are not an innate caster. They are learning spells to cast. Okay, no, I like that. And again, these are things that as you build your class or you build your character to kind of think of. And so I think that, well, am I casting from wisdom? Am I casting from charisma? Am I casting from intelligence? These are kind of things you want to banter and kind of build around as you flesh out your characters. Yeah, the learning process is going to be along the same lines as what a bard would do. Okay. So bards have a certain number of spells known. Spellblades also have a certain number of spells known and... That allows them to cast without having to prepare spells ahead of time. Excellent. I decided to make them intelligence casters because they're pulling their spells from the wizard spell list. Just like an Eldritch Knight. An Eldritch Knight's casting ability is also intelligence. Yes. So because they are drawing from the wizard spell list, it seemed right to me to make it an intelligence-based caster. No, that is a perfectly fair explanation. All right. Starting equipment, you get either leather armor or a chain shirt, a long sword or a great sword, a short sword or two daggers, an explorer's pack or a scholar's pack, and either an arcane focus or a component pouch. Again, that is fairly standard. I don't think there's anything jumping out of me like, oh, that's that's crazy. No, that's fairly standard starting stuff. Yeah, again, we're going lightish to medium armor. So again, leather to chain. Um, you're probably going to be looking at starting out with maybe 11 to 13, 14-ish armor class, I would imagine. That also depends on your dexterity and which archetype you're going at. Correct. Which, again, that doesn't kick in until second level, but... We'll get there. We'll get there. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So at first level, you get a fighting style. So you get to choose from... Defense, dueling, great weapon fighting, or two-weapon fighting. You could probably argue for some other fighting styles if you wanted to. Those are the ones that I decided to include. I like these. I don't think they should have access to all fighting styles. And again, these are going to be shock troopers. So these all make sense. If anything, I would question the dueling. But again, we're going to look into that more dexterity aspect. And so again, if you're going to be running like a James Bond or Prince of Persia or something like that, then yeah, you are going to have more one-on-one interaction than you would on a battlefield. So I I could see that one too. Dueling is just for if you're using a one-handed weapon in one hand and nothing in the other hand. Right. And so the three non-defense fighting styles, one is paired directly to one of each of the other archetypes. Okay. So dueling is for your warders. Great weapon fighting is for your vanguards. Two weapon fighting is for your dervishes. Excellent. And now that I've jumped the gun, (laughs) (laughs) we'll get into each of those in a minute. The other thing you get at first level is an ability called reinforce armor. So I might modify this a little bit, 
but we'll get to that. So the most basic magic taught to a spell blade is the ability to reinforce their armor. As a bonus action, you may grant yourself a number of temporary hit points equal to 1d8 plus your spell blade level. These temporary hit points last for 10 minutes, and while they are active, you gain resistance to non-magical bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing damage. Once you use this feature, you must finish a short or long rest before you can use it again. I'm tempted to modify this to where you can use it a number of times equal to your proficiency bonus, and they all recharge on a long rest. I could see that. That way it would give you more use. I think when you talk about reinforced armor, now again, there is a large movement within the tabletop community to call hit points your ability to avoid damage versus actual taking physical damage. And so that could be a misnomer to some people as they think that you're actually getting something like mage armor or shield the shield spell. And this is not that. So this would give you an increase two hit points versus increasing your armor class. It's temporary hit points. It's temporary hit points, yeah. So it's basically you have an energy field that emanates from you that can soak a certain amount of damage before it goes away. Oh, okay. I like that. When you explain it like that, I really do enjoy that. Um, I kind of picture like the energy shields from Dune. Or the way that shields or barriers work in Mass Effect. Okay, yes. Another Uh, great example, yes. Knowing you, I should have thought of that one first. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So spell casting, they cast spells like wizards. As opposed to other half casters, spell blades get cantrips. Okay. They start off with two. Once they can start casting spells at second level, they top out at having five cantrips that they can learn. Impressive. Which is the same as most every other caster that gets cantrips. I think wizards can get six I can't remember. They get a handful. I forget exactly how many they get. Um, But I do like this because one thing I had noticed is that the Spellblades lacked any kind of proficiency with a ranged weapon. Most have at least some sort of proficiency with a short bow or a sling or something along those lines. Well, they have proficiency with simple weapons. Simple weapons, yeah. Okay, there's that. Which means that that the short bow, the light crossbow, and the sling, I think, are all simple weapons. That would be correct, yes. Um, And then also all of the thrown weapons, so daggers, light hammers, hand axes, and javelins are all considered simple weapons as well. Gotcha. Okay. But I was going to say, they do have that ranged bit, and so I think I like that too. And there are also several other very useful cantrips I could see. Things like mend or prestidigitation. I can say that it's not a tongue twister, I promise. Yeah. (laughs) And so the thing that I was getting to with how their magic works a little different is uh, this ability called combat casting. So while wearing armor that imposes disadvantage on stealth checks, so that is the the bulkier armor and the light and medium armor ranges, it also imposes disadvantage on spell attack rolls with spells that they cast that have somatic components. That's fair. And again, that was something from the older editions that I liked. Yes. It seems weird that you could have a wizard with enough strength that he could wear plate armor if you want you know, cross-class them into fighter or something like that. And while I love this concept of a warrior mage or a battle mage, seeing a wizard in full plate just flinging spells willy-nilly just feels wrong. <laughs> so if you multi-class into fighter, you don't get heavy armor proficiency if you don't have it from your first class. However, multi-classing into a certain domain of cleric, like the forge cleric, right, does give you heavy yeah. armor proficiency. <laughs> Yes, so you take one level of life cleric or one level of forge cleric or one level of war cleric, and then, yes, you can be a wizard 19 cleric 1. You have access to first level healing spells. So you have access to cure wounds and healing word, and you can run around in heavy armor (laughs) proficiently. Yes, and you only have a strength score of 7 because that's legit. Why not? (laughs) You only have to have a wisdom of 13. To mm, exactly. There is no strength requirement. <laughs> but if I remember correctly, medium and heavy armors do have a minimum strength to not impose disadvantage. Advantage. Right. But again, beyond that disadvantage to your spell casting, and be like, doesn't count, mid fireball. Right. <laughs> And another thing is, if the spell requires a saving throw, you have to succeed on a dexterity check, DC 10 plus the spell's level, or the spell fails. Okay, again, that's fair. 
Yeah, so that way you can't get around it by just throwing out a bunch of spells that require saving throws instead of attack rolls. Right. And again, this does harken back to like 3rd edition, 2nd edition, where depending on your type of armor, your caster spells could just straight fizzle. That was always a terrible thing. You wanted to wear that leather armor for that extra point or two of armor, and then one out of five spells, just like, nope, like I hit my dice. <laughs> yeah. And then all of the other spell casting stuff is normal. If you want to read that, just read what the wizard has. Okay. And the final thing is spell casting focus. So you can use an arcane focus to cast your spellblade spells, but you may also use a weapon which is affected by your arcane augmentation as your spellcasting focus. And that is the next feature we're going to talk about. I was going to ask the one thing I do not see specifically written down with this write-up, because Ian does have this write-up ready and like 99% ready to rock, is you have your spells known, but can you cast all spells known once per day? Or what is your, how are you doing your spells per day? It works the same way that a sorcerer does in that you know a certain number of spells, you can cast as many as you have spell slots. Okay. You automatically have all of your known spells prepared because you know them. Okay, you, perfect. You are an innate caster. Excellent. So yeah, I am borrowing bits and pieces from the different caster classes. So, you know, the innate casting of a sorcerer or a bard, the learning spells from the wizard, just that whole mishmash. No, I love it. And that is the heart of homebrew. You take all the good parts you like and you make Frankenstein's monster. Just be sure to name it. And maybe yeah. pet him on the head and tell him he's a good boy. Otherwise, he's going to kill your family. Love your creations. <laughs> yes. That is the uh, <laughs> lesson here, is that if you bring it into the world, you have to show it love. Exactly. You are responsible for it. Not just responsible for it. You are responsible for loving it. Yes. Don't be a deadbeat parent. <laughs> <laughs> that is the lesson yes. that Jelly is going into there. <laughs> If we want to get super simplistic and boiled down about it. Don't be a Lord Byron. Do not be Lord Byron. <laughs> In a world full of anybody else, don't be a Lord Byron. <laughs> <laughs> well played. Well played. Anyway, as I mentioned, Arcane Augmentation, the other ability that you get at second level, you gain the ability to modify your weapons. It's basically your ability to attach a temporary enchantment to your weapon. Whenever you get it at second level, you get to choose two damage types from acid, cold, fire, or lightning. You apply it to your weapon as a bonus action, and while it's active, melee attacks that you make with the augmented weapon deal extra damage of the augmentation's damage type equal to your intelligence modifier. That can be fairly beefy. I mean, if you're going like full high intel, that could be... That I mean, it really tops nice out at plus five. Level. Yeah, it's still a plus five on, on at second levels. Nothing to sneeze at. Yeah, it's big. So at sixth, thirteenth, and eighteenth levels, you get to choose one additional damage type to learn to use as an augmentation. And starting at thirteenth level, you can also choose from necrotic, psychic, or thunder damage. Ooh, um, kind of like I, the psychic sword. I kept the tier two damage types until you hit thirteenth level. Yeah. Just to keep you from, you know, taking Thunder and Psychic at second level. <laughs> Speedrolling everything. Yes, absolutely. Additionally, starting at 13th level, if you are dual wielding, you can apply a different augmentation to each of your weapons. That can get really snazzy really fast. I like it. Your arcane augmentation requires concentration to maintain and lasts for 10 minutes or until dismissed as a bonus action. And then you can use the ability a number of times equal to your proficiency bonus, regaining one expended use on a short rest and all expended uses on a long rest. I'm thinking about dropping that short rest one. Right. We discussed that. Just to bring it more in line with other proficiency bonus tied abilities that recharge on a long rest. Now, I love the fact that you make it so this augmentation requires concentration. So one, you can't go and then cast a bunch of different spells with this. This is the spell you're using at the time, which has a great feel. It so also this, has the... You can't stack it on top of something like haste or blur. Right. Unless what, an ally is casting it on you. Right. What I also like about this too is this is going to have a great thematic feel when you're in the middle of the fray, you've got this augmentation on your weapon and you're sitting there and you think you're just going to go, you know, lawnmower everything and you get smacked by the rogue that has backstab that you didn't see and now you've got to roll that concentration check because you've taken damage. 
and suddenly that light just flickers off your sword and you're just like, crap. (laughs) That is going to be a wonderful moment at the table to see how the party reacts, how you're going to adapt, really keep your players on the toes. Not like, haha, I took your thing from you, but definitely make them adapt to the situation. Yeah, and it adds a strategic element too because you're going to want to wait to actually fire up your sword until you are in melee range. Yeah. Because if you fire up your sword whenever you're 80 feet away and they can, you know, shoot you with magic missile or if it's a giant, you know, they huck a boulder at you. Yeah. (laughs) It's like you might just waste it. I also, depending on the players and how the DMs want to visualize this or enact this at the table, I could totally see this like one of the Jedi moments too, where they're fighting, they're fighting, they're fighting, and they come face to face with the enemy and they, you know, and the sword starts glowing or runes light up along the blade, you know, and it's just that like, yeah, moment, you know, it's just one of those things could be great for an intimidation check at some point, you know, someone's talking about your trash and it's like, okay, fine. And all of a sudden, like the sword starts flaming or however you want to deal with that, you could really do a lot of that role play wise at the table. I think that would lead to some wonderful moments. And I can definitely see some cinematic moments where you mechanically bonus action, apply augmentation attack and you like crit. Oh yeah. But cinematically, as you describe it, what you do is you stab the guy and then while your sword is still in him, you light it up. Oh, that'd be amazing. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Let's do it. Okay, so that takes care of Arcane Augmentation. Third level, you get Spellblade Specialization. So this is where you choose your archetype. You can choose from the Dervish, the Vanguard, or the Warder. And we're going to get into those in a little bit. Get your first features at third level, then at 7, 11, 17, and 20. Next is ASIs, standard ASIs, 4, 8, 12, 16, 19. And again, just to round those out, ASI is your ability score increase. That's where you're going to add to your ability score or potentially pick up a feat. Absolutely, yeah. Next is at fifth level, you get extra attack because they are a martial class. So you can attack twice instead of once when you take the attack action on your turn. And then you get an upgrade to three attacks per attack action at 15th level. Nice. I didn't want to go full four attacks like the fighter gets because... Well, the fighter has to be good at something. Yeah. Let the fighter be good at something. (laughs) The fighter's good at fighting. And then flipping tables. The barbarian is better at flipping tables than the fighter is. Fair enough. It's that D12 hit die. (laughs) It really is. (laughs) (laughs) And then the last base class feature is elemental ward at ninth level. Just like with the cleric, the last cleric class feature new one that you get is at ninth level. So starting at ninth level, when you activate an arcane augmentation on one of your weapons, you may also grant yourself resistance to one of your arcane augmentation damage types. Your damage resistance does not need to match your weapon's augmentation damage type, and it lasts as long as you maintain your augmentation. Snazzy. So if you fail your concentration check and your augmentation goes off, you suddenly lose your resistance too. That's great for the dragon fight until it's not. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And that's what I was thinking, you know, because initially I was like, oh, you match your damage resistance to the augmentation type, right? right? But then, you know, you're fighting, say, a red dragon. You have to either choose to, A, use a fire augmentation on your weapon to get fire resistance, and then you don't get any of your bonus damage on the dragon, or B, use, say, cold damage on your weapon to get the bonus damage and then you don't get any benefit from the resistance i like that so as long as you know both damage type augmentations you could fire up a fire damage on your weapon and give yourself cold resistance okay or vice versa or vice versa yeah if you're fighting a white dragon (laughs) so yeah that that is the base class now let's go ahead and dive into the specializations. The specializations is where this class really takes off. Okay. And and I love the feel of these. I'm just so happy with how they turned out. So starting off with the Dervish. The Dervish is a very mobile sort of character class. It is, think of kind of like a skirmisher. Think of kind of like the way that the Assassin Rogue plays, but a little more beefy and without sneak attack. Okay. But that sort of highly mobile dive in, dive out, slice and dice sort of thing. This would probably be my type of character to play. Yeah. So 
Two abilities at third level. The first one is moving target. I'm going to reword this in the document, but while wearing no armor, your movement speed is increased by 10 feet and your AC is 10 plus your dex plus your intelligence. Okay, so this is kind of like the monk and the barbarian's unarmored defense. Yes. And I like that. I like that you can sit there and substitute your intelligence for a lot of stats. I might be a little biased on that, but I really think you can think your way out of many, if not most, problems on a good day. Yes, and this is basically combining unarmored defense and unarmored movement at the same time. So you get that extra 10 feet of movement speed and you get to add your intelligence modifier to your AC at the cost of not wearing any armor. No, I like that. And again, depending on if you want to crank that intel score way, way up, totally worth it. Yeah. I mean, if you max your dex and you max your intelligence, you have an AC of 20. Right. Um, but that's the same if you max, you know, dex and con with con. a barbarian or dex and wisdom with a monk. Correct. And the other thing at third level is improved augmentation. When you apply an arcane augmentation to your main weapon, it also applies to your offhand weapon because they are a dual wielding archetype. Yeah, no, I like that. I've got no complaints with either one of those. So this is the one that the two weapon fighting is intended for. Okay. Because it is designed to be probably stereotypical, but that lightly armored dual scimitar fighter just sort of, you know, dancing through the enemy lines and hacking people apart. No, I can totally picture that running like cinematically in my mind. So, you know, I love that. I'm picturing like an air Genasi doing this, you know, and they got, they got a lightning augmentation going on and this is the uh, blue ghost from Avatar that Zuko, his alter ego. Mm. That's exactly what this is. I love it. Yeah. Okay. So moving along at seventh level, you get, displacement you may cast blur on yourself at second level as an action without using a spell slot if you use the spell in this way it doesn't require concentration to maintain once you use this ability you can't use it again to finish a long rest so i just i wanted to amp up that chaos just their (laughs) their entire purpose is to enter the enemy block and sow chaos chaos woohoo we need shirts that's it we just have to have shirts (laughs) At 11th level, Battlefield Momentum. If you reduce a creature to zero hit points, you may teleport up to 10 feet and make a single attack with your primary weapon as a bonus action. Um, do we want to put a, what is it, the Bag of Kitten limiter on this one? Uh, the Bag of Rats limiter? Yeah. Well, the limiter is that you have to use your bonus action to do it. Okay, so you could only do it once. You can only do it once per turn. Okay, no, that's fair then. I was I was saying I missed the bonus action part, so I'm just thinking like, yeah. you know, your 20th level, kill a kobold, flash, kill a kobold, flash, kill a kobold, flash. <laughs> no, because okay. you could teleport up to 10 feet and make a single attack as a bonus, bonus action. action. Okay, there we go. That's, yeah, okay. Nope, that perfectly limited. Okay, we're good. So basically, I'm giving them a temporary 50 feet of movement on that turn because they reduced the creature to zero hit points. And they might be out of movement and can't reach the next guy to make a bonus action offhand attack. So that's basically letting them fudge time and space to get their their bonus attack. (laughs) So 17th level, Bladestorm. Bladestorm! Um, You can unleash a torrent of spell and steel in the area around you. As an action, you force all creatures within 10 feet of you to make a dexterity saving throw. Each creature takes 48 slashing damage and 48 damage of your arcane augmentations damage type and half as much on a success. You must have an arcane augmentation active to use this ability. And once you use it, you can't use it again until you finish a long rest. Did you ever watch Fate Zero? Yes. So this kind of reminds me of Gilgamesh's, you know, ultimate weapon where he could summon all the bladed weapons and just kind of fling them at people. Yes. I love that. I need to rewatch that. That is on my rewatch list. Yeah. Fate Zero was a great, it really it was, was amazing anime. Uh, Go watch Fate Zero. Um, there's one before it, Fate. Um, the timeline for Fate gets a little weird. There's another really good one that comes before it. Fate Zero is actually a prequel of sorts, but Fate Zero, definitely watch. Watch the other ones too. They're actually really well yeah, done. Yeah, I'm trying to remember what, what the other one was that I really liked, the other Fate one. Now i got to Google it. <laughs> well, at least we can edit all that out. Unlimited Blade Works. Mm. Yes. yes. Unlimited Blade Works was yeah. a really good one, too. Right. Again, 
watch both. Very well done. High recommendations because if you're listening to a D&D podcast, it's probably a good bet that you've watched at least a little bit of anime. And if you haven't, you should probably watch some anime. <laughs> and then the capstone for the Dervish at 20th level is Phantom Killer. You regain your use of the displacement ability when you finish a short rest. So you can cast Blur once per short rest without spending a spell slot. Ooh. While the Blur granted by displacement is active, you deal damage to creatures within five feet of you who miss you with melee attacks. Also very nice. The damage dealt is slashing damage equal to your dexterity modifier plus damage of your augmentations type equal to your intelligence modifier. That could be really, really nice if you get surrounded. Like if you get attacked by, you know, all the goblins or the kobolds where they all have like that weird advantage when they're within a group. And thankfully, three of them missed. That could really help out. No, I like that. I would be very happy to have that as a 20th level. That's yeah. yeah. I wanted the capstone abilities to be okay. That is good enough to stay in this class to 20th level. Absolutely. Let's make it worth it. That was the feel I was going for, too, is, you know, they get sort of blurry, mirage in combat. And so you're not entirely sure where they are. And so they're just dancing around weapons and retaliating every time somebody comes in at them as a spot opens up. And they're just constant movement. Oh, I'm just seeing you couldn't do this as 20. You might be able to do it if you picked up a feat. But where you have like the disengage or if you had something not quite disengaged, but if you had something that would increase. Hold on, let me finish this. I have a half a thought. So if your armor class was high enough and you could provoke attacks of opportunity where you were fairly certain you could make them miss that because your armor class is so high or whatever, this could be brutal because that would trigger that attack of opportunity. If they miss, they take that damage. And so you could literally like just run past people and just mow them down as they're swinging and missing. It'd be like running a gauntlet. Yeah. Oh, I love that. But the thing is, eventually, if the DM is smart, the enemies will catch on to that and will not take that attack yes. of opportunity. Right. Okay, so that's the Dervish. That's the first one. I like it. The second one is the Vanguard, and the Vanguard is the exact opposite. <laughs> so the Vanguard is a spellblade that chooses to use brute force smashing into enemy formations with heavy weapons in an effort to overwhelm them under the onslaught. They also use their abilities for passive defenses, shrugging off all but the most grievous of injuries. I love this. Yeah, this is this is going to be fun too. Yeah. So bonus proficiencies. At third level, you gain proficiency with all martial weapons with the heavy trait. Ooh. So that means you get proficiency with mauls, with great axes, with glaives, with halberds. So you can use reach weapons if you wanted. And then the other ability at third level is augmented cleave. Once per turn, when you hit a creature with a heavy weapon with an active arcane augmentation, you may choose another creature within five feet of you or your target to make a dexterity saving throw. On a failed save, that target takes damage of the augmentation's damage type equal to your intelligence modifier. I like it. Again, that has a good feel to it. And you're just taking these big, heavy swings, and the energy is just kind of shedding off the edge of the weapon and smacking into other stuff. I could really picture this one. You're getting that littlest bit of splash. Yeah. That makes your enemies stay on their toes, or otherwise they're going to get smacked. Yeah. At seventh level, you get improved reinforcement. While you have temporary hit points from your reinforced armor ability, you gain a bonus to your AC equal to your intelligence modifier. This is what I was kind of feeling when I first read the reinforced armor ability. Yeah. Yeah. So because they don't have a way to automatically add their intelligence modifier, because that's a dervish specific unarmored combat thing. This lets them while they have that buff going to get the temp HP and the non-magical bludgeoning, piercing, slashing resistance, they get to add to their AC for a little bit. I like it. And again, if they're going to be in the front lines, mushing things up, this is definitely a skill yeah. that they need to have. I, I wanted this class to be the juggernaut. Yeah. I wanted them to be <laughs> able to just wade in and break things. I, I love it. I, like I said, the Dervish feels more my style, but I love this character too. Oh, the Vanguard is totally my style. Yes. <laughs> I, <laughs> I am not going to lie. <laughs> the Warder is my baby, but the Vanguard is my style. 
And again, if you've not noticed from listening, Ian and I tend to be the opposite ends of the same coin. So we, we sit there, we catch things from both ends. It's fun. <laughs> yeah, it's great. So at 11th level, Arcane Ferocity, you may add your Strength Modifier to the magical damage of your Arcane Augmentation and Augmented Cleave. Ooh, okay. And again, that makes sense. I can just see kind of like they had with, I think it was, I believe it was Kylo Ren's in, in the Star Wars where like just his excess energy, you know, so his kyber crystals were erratic because it wasn't focused. And so the energy kind of bled off. I could see the same thing with that strength where you're meshing your strength and intelligence and you're just swinging with such ferocity that that energy just keeps shedding off. So you get that extra push on things. Yeah. And that plays into... Again, the archetype that I'm trying to play with, I'm trying to play off of the trope of, you know, I don't want my bruisers to be big, dumb buffoons. Exactly. No, I want a smart bruiser. Yeah, because that is terrifying. Absolutely. Like, I mean, you talk to some of these, you know, ex special forces guys that, you know, have Ivy League educations. Oh, yeah, they're, they're terrifying. And you're like. Okay, I acknowledge that your intellect is above mine and that you know 47 ways to kill me with a ballpoint pen. (laughs) I'm going over here now. (laughs) Exactly. I was going to say, even in the monster movies, I mean, you'd have like the enforcer or, you know, the big Guido type dude. And they're supposed to talk like this and be kind of dumb. But every once in a while, there would be one who was savvy and knew what the hell was going on. And that guy was terrifying. So because we like bringing back the dresden files oh of course hendrix i loved hendrix hendrix is he's way up there for me yes yeah hendrix would yes. be a vanguard oh absolutely i could totally see that yes so continuing on at 17th level arcane torrent this is the parallel with the blade storm so this is another single big action that you can take and so as an action You can send out a blast of arcane energy in a 30-foot cone originating from you. All creatures in the cone take 68 damage of your arcane augmentation's damage type or half as much on a successful dex save. Creatures who fail their dex save are also knocked prone or pushed 10 feet away from you, your choice. Ooh. You must have an arcane augmentation active to use this ability, and once you use it, you can't use it again until you finish a long rest. That is a wonderful, just giant F you to a crowd of people that you're fighting. I love that. That clears doorways. That clears hallways. If you can time it right, if one of your partners are getting mobbed, that's, yeah. Oh, that is a wonderful room clearing ability. That makes me happy. Yeah, it is a breaching charge. It, it really is. <laughs> yeah, you just you just throw thunder damage on it. Oh, and yeah. And <laughs> let it go. Look at me. I'm a living flashbang. Yeah. No, I'm Claymore. Yeah. <laughs> and the best thing is you could do it with a Claymore. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You know, because they use heavy weapons. So yeah. a great sword is a heavy weapon. So I yeah, love they, that. Could, they could be a Claymore with a Claymore. claymore. Oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. And then the capstone at 20th level is elemental reinforcement. While you have temporary hit points from your reinforce armor ability, any damage you take is reduced by an amount equal to your intelligence modifier. Ooh, a good solid damage reduction. So you just get to automatically take, I'm assuming that by 20th level you have a 20 intelligence, you just get to automatically take five points of damage off the top of anything that you take. I like that. No, and again, a straight damage reduction is something that you've not seen as much of in 5th edition. That Again, that was more of a 2nd and 3rd edition thing, but I like it. You know what? Just, no. No, that doesn't hurt me. (laughs) And because... It is only in effect while the reinforced armor ability is up. So while you have temporary hit points, that is going to be something that basically I'm just increasing the efficiency of that buff. I'm increasing the efficiency of your temporary hit points. I like that. And it also really makes the character stop and think about when they want to use that ability. It's not something they're just going to throw around willy nilly. And because... While it's active, they gain resistance to non-magical bludgeoning, piercing, slashing damage. So if it's a non-magical attack, it's automatically halved before the damage reduction. Nice. Hey everyone, Ian here in post with a minor correction. I got my order switched here. Whenever you're taking damage while you have both damage reduction and resistance, the damage reduction comes off 
first before applying resistance. So yeah, I got those backwards. On with the show. And then they also have a bonus to their AC from improved reinforcement. So they're already harder to hit to begin with. No, I like that. So basically, I'm just saying that this bonus just really reinforces, you know, making you kind of like Colossus. Yeah, it gives you that extra bit of, no, I'm not going to die today. Yeah, it's that little bit more of it takes so much more to actually effectively hinder me. And so the feel that I really wanted to get to for the Vanguard was that I wanted them to be a freight train. I wanted them to be the juggernaut. I wanted them to be that force that, yes, you can stop it. It's how much are you willing to devote to throwing at it in order to make it stop. I like that. Back in WoW, in, uh, it was Oblivion. It was one of the elemental, one of the first elemental bosses. I think it was Ozark or Ozik or something, where like his his combat speech when you woke up was, come break yourselves upon my body. It, it's that kind of feel. Um, you said Oblivion, which you meant was Molten Core. No, it wasn't Molten Core. It was the X-Pack, not Oblivion, but the one that came out of Wrath. Oh, Cataclysm. Cataclysm. There we go. Yeah, it was Cataclysm. Oh, yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, Osruk down Osruk, in yes. down in uh, Blackrock something or other. Right. It's been years. I, see, <laughs> slight tangent. I know that because you know, my main is a tank. I main a prot paladin. That should surprise no one at this point. <laughs> but I wiped on that boss so many times because the DPS did not understand the mechanics of that fight. Oh, yeah. But it is that I'm going to be on the field and you are going to wreck yourself fighting me. And when it's done, I'm still here. It's like that scene from Deadpool where Deadpool punches Colossus and just (laughs) shatters every bone in his hand. Exactly, yes. (laughs) That was the feel I was wanting to get out of this. Perfect. So that's the Vanguard. That's the second one. That's the one that of these three, if I were to make one and play it, that's the one I would probably play. The Warder is the original concept. Okay. And it is the one that I love the most. I know you're not supposed to pick favorites among your children, but these aren't children. These are pieces of content. And I love this one the most. That's just what you tell Nora. It's okay. Well, it's easy to love all your children equally when you only have one. And I'm going to leave it at that. All right. Moving on to our third archetype. We've got the Warder. The Warder is a spellblade who takes advantage of an active magical defense, interposing a condensed wall of force between themselves and the hazards of the battlefield. They also rely more heavily on actual spellcasting in combat than the other specializations. Um, So starting off at third level... You get an expanded spell list. Uh, So your spell list is expanded to include all abjuration, evocation, and transmutation spells from the wizard spell list with a range of 60 feet or less. Okay, I like that. Again, it's close to medium range. It feels good. Yeah, because I wanted to limit, you know, the reach that the spell blades had. All of their cantrips and all of their spells are fairly short range. I tried to keep them all to being a 30 foot range or shorter. Okay. No, I Um, like that. And again, that's about the range of a thrown weapon, you know, like a javelin or thrown hammer. So, and I wanted the warder because they are more of support ish. They're more defensive. I wanted them to be able to throw a little further. I specifically cut off at 60 feet. So that way they can't get stuff like fireball. They can't get stuff like lightning bolt and chain lightning. That's fair. You know, I did want to limit them to let the full casters shine when it comes to raw magical output. But I wanted them to have an element to them that made them feel unique compared to the other two. Okay. So that's the first one. The second one is Spellblaze Ward. You gain the ability to project a disc of force energy to use as a shield. As a bonus action, you may hold out an empty hand and project a shield of force in front of it, granting you a plus two bonus to your AC while it is active. While it is active, any spellcaster targeting you with magic missiles must make a successful spell attack roll to hit you instead of hitting you automatically. So it functions as a shield spell, just with a lesser AC bonus. Okay. 
The ward will dissipate if you cast a spell of first level or higher, or if you dismiss it, no action required. So you could, in theory, have it up, drop it to cast a one action spell, bonus action, reactivate it. Okay. Um, But that will tie up your bonus action so you won't be able to use it for anything else. Right. The bonus to your AC increases to plus three at ninth level, plus four at 15th level, and plus five at 20th level. So by the time you hit 20th level, it does function as the shield spell, but it's 20th level. Now, if someone were to cast Magic Missile while this is up and they roll to hit, if it hits, do all missiles hit or do you have to roll to hit for each missile thrown? Good question. I didn't think of that. I would say that it would function the same way that Scorching Ray does, where you have to roll for each ray. I would think that you would have to roll for each missile. Okay, that's fair. Um, That is something that I can specify if I need to. That is something that I overlooked. I'm glad that you pointed that out. Moving on to 7th level, Arcane Smite. (laughs) Give give it some force, Ian. Give it some force. (laughs) Bring out my inner Joe Cat. From the, from the paladin, <laughs> crap guide to paladins. Yes. Yeah. Arcane smite. Uh, when you hit a creature with a melee attack affected by your arcane augmentation, you may expend a spell slot to increase your augmentation's damage by an additional 1d8 per level of the slot expended. I like that. Yeah, so it is literally the same as a paladin's divine smite, just using whatever your arcane damage is. So you do get a little more versatility out of it. Okay. So it it isn't automatically radiant. It isn't something that you have to cast ahead of time to get a different damage on. So it's going to just automatically be whatever the augmentation you put on is. This is really good when you're trying to figure out, you know, you find a thing that suddenly you're surprised that has, you know, physical damage resistance. So you're going to push that little extra bit of magic damage in through it too. I like that. Yeah. Or, you know... Whenever you're fighting that white dragon that has weakness to fire yep, and you throw a fire augmentation on it and then you instead of using your high level spell slots, you just channel them into your sword. So that way, you know, you you're dealing an extra 3d8 fire damage on every single melee attack. That's not a until bad, you run out of spell slots. <laughs> that's not a bad use for a third level spell, an extra 3d8. I, I would take it. Next is at 11th level, Spell Slinger. When you take the attack action on your turn, you may replace one of your melee weapon attacks with a cantrip. The cantrip must deal damage, have a casting time of one action, and have a range of self or touch. I like it. That definitely has, I love that feel of being able just to kind of like, again, machine gun out spells. Um, That self or touch Again, would love that with some first level spells, cantrips. There are a few good ones definitely to run with on that one too. But no, that would take time for me to sit down, but I am sure I could come up with a lot of fun things to do with that. So that would give you things like shocking grasp so you can deal lightning damage, thunderclap to deal thunder damage. I've got a couple extras that I've homebrewed and added to this. But yeah, there are several damaging cantrips that have a touch or self range. Exactly. So that would be something that would allow you to basically ramp up your damage output a little bit. Right. At 17th level, Arcane Evasion. So while you're maintaining your ward, if you're subjected to an effect that allows you to make a dexterity saving throw to only take half damage, you instead take no damage on a successful saving throw and half damage if you fail. It is the ability from, was it the Shield Master feat? Or the evasion ability. Um, yeah, I'm thinking evasion with rogues. There, There is that ability as part of, I think it's the shield master feat, where it gives you basically evasion while you're using a shield. Right. So yeah, that's what I give. It's a little weak for a 17th level ability, but compared to the stuff that they've gotten so far, I think that it fits thematically, and I think that it remains in balance. It does. If anything, I would add maybe a couple extra to your maybe get while it's up. You have expertise with your uh, defense saves, your defense saving throws. Mm, I don't want to do that because this is already a high dex focus class. Gotcha. 
Um, because since you're going to be focusing a lot on actually casting spells, right. you're going to want to avoid the heavier armors that are going to impose disadvantage on your rolls. Right. Okay. At least that's the logic that I have. No, that fits. <laughs> and then here's the big one. At 20th level, interposing barrier. While you are maintaining your ward, you may use your reaction to shield a number of creatures of your choice up to your intelligence modifier within 30 feet of you from an effect that allows them to make a dexterity saving throw to take half damage. All affected creatures automatically succeed on their dexterity saving throws and any damage that would be dealt to them is reduced by an amount equal to 10 times your intelligence modifier. Once you use this ability, you can't use it again until you finish a long rest. I call this the Mama Hen ability. Um, <laughs> this is that cinematic moment that you see in a lot of fantasy, especially gaming. Yeah. Where, you know, the party is all huddled together. The dragon comes over and breathes this big cone of fire on them. And when the fire dissipates, the wizard is standing there with their staff raised and this dome of energy over top of them. Yes, I love that. That is what this is. I love that. I think I like interposing barrier. If you were to take any damage at all from this, I would call it the magical martyr. But no, I love that. Yeah, this is. Well, I mean, it's a 20th level ability that you can use once a day. Yeah, I, I think being no, able. I mean, it's, it, it feels good. This is definitely something to have. Yeah. I think being able to say nope to an ancient dragon's breath weapon once per once day, day is a pretty good thing to have it. That's fair. Level. Yeah, no, that's, I would not complain. <laughs> oh, no, don't give me that. <laughs> so that's the archetypes as they are currently. There are a couple of things that we've mentioned that are going to get lightly edited. But yeah, that's basically what we got. I like this a lot. I definitely see myself playing a dervish. The warder would probably be next on my list because that, again, comes into that really close combat, you know, melee magic type concept I like. I love all of these concepts. A lot of fun. I think I would love to hear people play test these or put them on a table for one shots and tell us how they go. So like I mentioned, I did homebrew a few spells specifically to go with the spell blade. Two of them, Arcane Lance and Arcane Outburst, are first and third level spells, respectively. Um, they're short range. The Arcane Lance is a 15-foot range. Arcane Outburst is a 10-foot AoE centered on you. Okay. The Lance deals 3d8 damage of your Arcane Augmentation type. Arcane Outburst deals 66 damage of your Arcane Augmentation type half on a successful save. It's just a little bit, I like having it tied to whatever damage type you have active as your augmentation. I like having it tied to the fact that you have to have an augmentation active. It is basically you're taking the energy that you have infused your weapon with and you're amplifying it and directing it. Now with these, because your augmentation is a concentration spell, casting one of these that go through or that requires your augmentation will it burn out and make your augmentation drop once the spell is complete no because they're one action they're not concentrations concentrations. okay perfect yeah that's one thing that i see a lot is people misinterpreting what concentration means you can still cast spells that are non-concentration while concentrating on a spell okay a lot of people will be like oh i can't cast another spell because it will break concentration no as long as the spell that you're casting is not also concentration. Perfect. You can cast while concentrating. You just can't have two concentration spells going at the, same, at the same, time. same time. I threw in two third level spells, counter strike and dispelling strike. So basically giving you a melee range counter spell and dispel magic. That's literally all they are. Both great things to have. You smack something with your weapon and you interrupt the magic there. I like it. See here, and I think the rest of them... Oh, I also did another one as a fifth level spell called Temporary Ally, which is just a touch range, I think, Dominate Person. It's one of the mind control ones. This looks like Dominate Person, yeah. And then, see here, I've got Transform Blade. It is a bonus action spell. It has a material component that is a silver dagger worth at least 50 gold. And as a bonus action, you can transform the dagger into a sword of your choice. A falchion, a great sword, a long sword, a rapier, or a short sword. And in 
the bonus action of transforming it because you're using a spell slot to do it, it automatically attaches an arcane augmentation to it okay. because you're using your bonus action to do it. So yeah, you can you can pull a dagger and bonus action, throw some magic into it, and now you have a flaming greatsword. Awesome. It has a duration of 10 minutes. It is also concentration, so I would say that because it does say and automatically gains the effects of one of your arcane augmentations for the spell's duration. I might need to work with the wording of that because the way I'm no, reading it, would, it right It would burn one of your ar- augment augmentations, so it would be the same as you're using the arcane augmentation. So it'd still be the concentration. But it's not. Oh, okay. It gains the effects of Effect an augmentation, of. but it's not using one of your uses because you're using okay. a spell slot instead of the ability. Okay. No, then that should be okay as is. It's just, again, it requires concentration to maintain it. So Yeah, okay. No, that sounds fair. Um, and then so you can upcast it. If you upcast it as a third level spell, it lasts for one hour and gets a plus one bonus to attack and damage rolls. If you upcast it as a fifth level spell, it lasts for eight hours and it becomes a plus two sword. I like it. Because I figure that if you're upcasting it, you should get something better than just duration. Yeah, no, I totally worth it. I like it. All right. And then the last thing that I've got, I've got a couple of cantrips um, because there aren't very many short range cantrips. There's really not. So I've got one that's caustic grip. It deals D10 acid damage on touch, bumping up by a D10 at all the normal levels. And on a hit, the target's AC is reduced by one until the end of your next turn. Okay. Next one is freezer burn does d8 cold damage and on a hit the next attack the target makes before the start of your next turn is made with disadvantage so basically their next attack whatever it is as long as it's before you get to go again is made with disadvantage okay so it's that chilling effect that you get but instead of ray of frost that reduces your movement speed this is a little more effective for close quarters okay is what i was going for Kind of makes me think a little bit of Bioshock, but I'm so far I'm liking it. And then the third one is Lava Lash. Yes, I lifted that name from World of Warcraft. (laughs) Um, And it is literally just Thorn Whip that does fire damage. Ooh, I like it. That is all of the reskinning that I did. Just a little bit spicy. I just changed the damage type. Good deal. So you can Scorpion get over here. I love it. And that's it. Good deal. I would love to see this on the table. I definitely want to play with these. Looking forward to when we do our next playtest. Again, if you guys want to do these as a one-shot or a one-off, let us know how it feels on the table. Do you love it? Does it fall a little flat? Are there things you would change? Let us know. We would love to hear um, your experience with these characters. Are we missing a balance thing and it is grossly overpowered? We want to know that too. Yes. But yeah, I think that'll do it for today. Thank you everyone for listening. If you have any comments, suggestions, or ideas, please send us an email under taste at gmail.com or send us a direct message through our Twitter account at UCT Homebrew. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, Twitch, and YouTube. Just search under Common Taste. We are on Patreon, as we mentioned, patreon.com slash taste. That's where we put all of our write-ups. That's where the write-up for the Spellblade is going to go. I am in the process of putting together an itch store That might be open by the time this episode comes out because I am working on a liminal horror module for the Tales from the Void jam. If you listen to our last episode with Goblin Archives, you'll know all about that. If you haven't, go listen to it. It was great. Yeah, that was a lot of fun to do. So the idea is that I'm going to throw this up as is on Patreon for free. Once we get a little bit of feedback, once we've had it, little bit of time to actually play test it ourselves. I might try and do a higher quality PDF, maybe hire some artists, put some art in this, and then it would be available for sale in our itch store as a final product. Awesome. Um, you get the beta for free. You get the beta for free. Everyone gets the beta for free. <laughs> Buckets of betas, betas for free. <laughs> yes, I broke in. <laughs> <laughs> And finally, we are on Discord. You can find a link to the Discord in our show notes, and we would love to have you come over and chat with us. 
yeah, if you have ideas or concepts or you want to discuss one of our characters or one of our guests, hop in. We actually still have a lot of our contributors that also pop up on our Discord from time to time. So it's a great way to reach out and contact. If this is your first time listening to us, thank you for finding us. We're glad to have you here. You can find our other podcasts wherever you listen to your podcasts. We're on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google. Just type in under commentation. You'll find us. As always, please give us a rating and review. This helps increase our visibility and it lets us know what you want to hear more of. Next episode, we have very special guests, Greg Tito and Shelly Mazanoble, the hosts of the Dragon Talk podcast, the official D&D podcast put out by Wizards of the Coast. Very excited. They are coming on to talk about their new book called Welcome to Dragon Talk. It is a book talking specifically about their experiences hosting Dragon Talk and some of their favorite guests over the last 500 episodes, I think. I think they're getting pretty close to that. Might be 400. Might be 400. I can't remember off the top of my head. They've been around a little while. They've been around for a hot minute. (laughs) And we're really super excited to have them on. So that interview is going to be live on our Twitch stream, twitch.tv slash undercommontaste. On Friday, November 11th at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. Awesome. So mark your calendars. Be there. We're going to have a grand old time. If you can't catch it, then it will be the regular episode the following Wednesday. But until then, we will see you a week from Friday. So stay safe, everyone, and we'll see you then. Happy gaming. Thank you for listening to another episode of Undercommon Taste. You can find links to all of our social media accounts, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch, as well as our Patreon and Discord channel in the show notes. Our theme song is Massacre Anne, written and performed by Mary Crowell and used with permission. You can find more of her work at marycrowell.bandcamp.com or on Patreon at patreon.com slash drmarycrowell. Our logo was illustrated by David Sutherland. You can find him on Instagram at willex underscore 73 or on DeviantArt at DeviantArt.com slash David Sutherland. Thanks again for listening. Stay safe. We'll see you again next week.